Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Another strike. 500 researchers at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. Finally, the steelworkers reach an agreement at the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in the state of New Jersey. And today on the show, the latest from the Alliance for American Manufacturing and the Florida Education Association. Welcome to the Thursday, December 7th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Scott Paul will be our first guest on the show today. He is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing website, which I encourage you to go to is AmericanManufacturing.org. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about their 10th annual Made in America holiday gift guide featuring more than 200 companies that make their products in the United States of America. And Scott reports the latest polling shows that a vast majority of American adults, we're talking 81%, so that's over four out of five, prefer to purchase holiday gifts made in the United States. And by the way, that is a five percentage point increase from the polling that they did last year. So we'll run down the criteria and how this is all put together. We've done that in previous shows, but it's always good to find out how they came up with this list. And there's some union-made goods and other goods made by non-union members. The point here is made in America. That's the, that's the goal here. The other thing we're going to talk about is the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party. They reportedly are set to issue a report calling for the revocation of China's permanent normal trade relations with the United States. This is huge. This is huge. This happened when Bill Clinton was in the White House. We're going 2000, 2001, right around that time. And he was a big proponent of free trade, starting with NAFTA. Well, when that happened, we saw an exodus, and they don't even have the full 20-plus years. But for the first 17 years, and the Economic Policy Institute did some, did some polling and some data on this, and they found that 3.8 million jobs disappeared just from that trade deal. And almost all of those jobs in manufacturing, which means, you know, when you lose a manufacturing job, there's other jobs that are lost along with that. Could be two, three, four, five. So you think about that. We're talking millions and millions, tens of millions of jobs that pretty much disappeared. So we'll get into that with uh, Scott Paul. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Andrew Spar. Andrew is president of the Florida Education Association, which is the state's largest association of professional employees and the largest labor union in the southeast. I didn't realize that. They have right now 150,000 members and growing, I might add, because 
a lot of the attacks on teachers, banning of books, things of that nature. What we're essentially going to talk about on the show today is take a look at what happened this year, 2023, and what the FEA plans to do about that next year to fight back. And Andrew texted me last night, and he said they've done some polling on Ron DeSantis, and it turns out that uh, many in the public are not happy with the course that he has taken, attacking teachers and banning of books, changing curriculum. So it'll be interesting what he has to say on that. Website is feaweb.org, feaweb.org. And now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. More than 500 postdoctoral researchers at Mount Sinai's Icon School of Medicine, who are all members of the Sinai Postdoc Organizing Committee affiliated with the United Auto Workers, well, they walked off the job and right on the picket line yesterday, all part of an unfair labor practice strike. After more than one full year at the bargaining table with administrators, no agreement had been reached, so hundreds gathered for a rally to kick off the strike. This was at uh, 10 a.m., Yesterday morning in downtown Manhattan, Andrea Joseph is one of the fellows in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And she said, we love our research, but Sinai is leaving us no choice. Our priority has always been ensuring that science at Mount Sinai is sustainable and inclusive. And that means fair pay and housing and parental benefits that allow all of us to take care of our families and stay in the careers we love. Today, postdocs, members of the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Community and our broader community are standing together to hold Sinai's administration accountable. Through our collective action, we hope to compel them to bargain in good faith so we can finally address the urgent issues we face as researchers committed to our careers. Now, the impacts of the strike will be felt across Mount Sinai and beyond hundreds of other Icon School of Medicine. Mount Sinai employees and community members have pledged to respect the picket lines. And let me go back to June of uh, last year, 2022. Nearly 90% of workers voted to choose Sinai Postdoctoral Organizing Committee, UAW, as your union and bargaining representative. While we're talking about the UAW union, members with the Detroit Casino Council have voted overwhelmingly to ratify a new contract with MGM Grand Detroit. And this is after 47 days on strike. As a result, the unions suspended the strike effective immediately. And uh, there was good reason they decided to go on strike. Listen to what they Got here a five-year agreement covering 1,700 employees, includes the largest wage increases ever for MGM Grand Detroit workers, including including an immediate 18% pay raise on average, a bonus, no health care cost increases for employees, workload reductions and other job protections, first-ever technology contract language, and more. Upon ratification, the workers received an immediate $3 an hour raise, averaging 18% over year one, and $5 an hour total raises 
over the life of the contract. Nice, uh, nice deal there. United Steelworkers Local 4-200 announced that they have reached a tentative agreement on a three-year contract with the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick that raises wages, caps insurance costs, and provides safe staffing ratios. This was an unfair labor practice strike that happened on August 4th. The deal covers more than 1,700 members who work as nurses throughout the hospital. USW Local 4200 President Judy Danella said nurses were grateful for the huge outpouring of community support they received and that they look forward to returning to their work caring for patients. And this is what she's quoted as saying, safe staffing is essential to both patient care and reducing burnout among healthcare workers. This contract sets necessary staffing ratios so that we can spend more time with each of our patients and keep ourselves safe on the job. And she credited the strength and solidarity of nurses with reaching the deal. She went on to say this agreement was hard fought, but our sacrifice ultimately paid off with a fair contract that addresses nurses' most urgent concerns. And weeks after Starbucks Workers United held rallies and strikes to protest understaffing. The company has announced it will allow overwhelmed stores to pause mobile drink ordering starting next month. The uh, union events across the company brought attention to the issue of Starbucks' annual Red Cup Day last month. While the company claims the change is unrelated to the union's understaffing activism, internal documents do cite employee absences as a reason for introducing the feature. Yeah, there is a way to get your point across, right? Okay, quick break. When we come back, Scott Paul on behalf of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at voidwaterson.com. 
This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACweb.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. All right, let's go to Washington, D.C. right now. Welcome a longtime supporter and contributor to America's Workforce. That would be Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Love this organization. Affiliated with the Steelworkers. Started back in 2007. AmericanManufacturing.org. A lot of good information there. They got videos. They got podcasts posted there. And also the Made in America Holiday Gift Guide, which we're going to get into. But first and foremost... We're going to start this conversation out on trade because, as you know, we have seen a whole lot of bad trade deals here in the past, oh my gosh, 30, 40 years now. And one of the biggest trade deals was normalizing relations with China, which goes back to 2000, 2001. And since then, we have seen an exodus of jobs, and I mean good jobs, manufacturing jobs. Scott Paul, talk to me about the uh, the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, which apparently is calling for an end to PNTR. What's going on here, Scott? This is pretty fascinating. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, well, hey, Flash, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Um, I'm glad that we're lifting this issue up because U.S.-China relations, um, the strength of our economy, our ability to generate uh, well-paying jobs, uh, our clean energy future, there's a lot of things that are linked into uh, the, the, uh, the, the degree of tariffs we have with China and the kind of trade relationship we have with China. And we've frankly screwed it up for the last uh, 20, 25 years or so. And so this committee, which I would say is one of the very few bright spots of uh, this Congress, I, you probably would agree with that as well, oh, yeah. um, but this, this, this committee uh, has, has done some pretty good work um, and uh, of shining a light on a lot of issues in the U.S.-China relationship that uh, usually get swept under the rug, and it's bipartisan. Uh, they, they operate on a very bipartisan basis. Um, I've testified uh, before them early on, and, and, they, and I, I do think that they've been very thoughtful about their, their, their process here. Um, and one of the recommendations we've, we've heard um, and has been reported uh, is that uh, th- this committee does recommend that uh, we repeal uh, what was called uh, permanent normal trade relations with China. Now, what does that mean? It means that uh, tariffs um, would not be set at the lowest level for countries 
who don't have a free trade agreement with us. You know, usually countries that have a free trade agreement with us, the tariffs are zero. Those that have uh, permanent normal trade relations with us, it's very low. It's maybe 2%. 3%, something like that. Um, and uh, revoking this permanent normal trade relations uh, would allow Congress to uh, set the tariffs on some goods much higher uh, than that. And, you know, we still have this big imbalance in trade with China. There's still a lot of concerns, both the actions of the Chinese government, uh, the the way in which uh, products are manufactured in China with a lot of pollution, with obviously a lot of labor rights violations, um, and then just what we would call the um, the non-market practices of the Chinese government, how it you know directly owns some of the companies, it uh, essentially owns other companies, it tells the rest of the companies what to do, and they just they make so much stuff that they dump on the world market that it just distorts prices and puts other companies out of business. And so um, this is one that, you know, look, there's a lot of intricacies in the U.S.-China trade relationship. Um, and, you know, this committee will have a lot of recommendations that it will make. But this uh, PNTR um, is like hitting the uh, hitting the restart button on the computer <laughs> in a lot of ways and uh, when, when there's been a bug in it and, uh, and and see if we can get at least some of that uh, straightened out. So I do hope that, uh, that the committee will ultimately end up uh, recommending that. Well, either throw it out or make it better. And uh, we, we saw a good example with that with NAFTA. I mean, that was reworked under the Trump yeah. administration with uh, the USMCA. Do you think um, you think that might ha I mean, it, it would be radical to just to shelve the whole thing. I, I understand that. I don't know how much support there is, especially in the Senate on that. But where, where do you see this going, in your opinion? You've been watching yeah. trade deals for a long time, Scott. Yeah, I, I have been. And, and so and, you know, I am, a I guess I'm what you'd call a trade hawk and someone who uh, promotes American manufacturing. I'm a realist, too. I understand there's a lot of trade between the United States and China right now. It's just very imbalanced. Um, and there's a couple of categories that are of particular concern, like uh, pharmaceuticals. Uh, PPE, a lot of some types of electronics manufacturing, where China just has way too much leverage uh, because virtually all the production is there. And so, uh, I do think that you're onto something there. That that the the, the better course of action for us is to reset and to uh, you know identify strategic categories where we want to grow production in the United States, to raise those tariffs to be the highest. Um, the stuff that, uh, you know, is, is part of regular global commerce um, and that we, uh, you know, that, that works into supply chains and that isn't as strategic, you know, that, that can be kind of probably left at a lower rate. And so it's, uh, you know, there's, but, but the important thing is to take that first step. And mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's feasible to say, look, we're just going to build an economic wall between the United States and China. We're not going to trade at all. I, I don't see the day where that's going to happen unless uh, China does make much more belligerent moves against Taiwan uh, or its neighbors, um, but we we do need to uh, radically 
reset the relationship. And so, yeah, adjusting it, uh, as, as we did with NAFTA, uh, to, to come up with a, a new trade agreement is, is, is the right action. And I think that's along the lines of what this select house committee uh, is proposing that the, the tariffs would be reset, um, and they'd be done so, uh, in a strategic manner, um, mm -hmm. based on kind of our economic security in the United States. Well, as you know, next year is going to be politically charged, so I would assume this would come up in, in a number of the, the conversations, a number of the debates among the candidates, because this, and I, I've been doing this show for 25 years here, Scott, and I remember yeah. when the unions yeah. called out and they said, no, this is not a good way to do, you know, they said the same thing about NAFTA, don't go that, don't go that way. Uh, deregulation well, that was another issue we saw that in trucking we saw in the airlines and it, you know the union spoke out about it but nobody seemed to listen it's sad that it took this long to figure it out because we lost so many jobs but uh, do you see this perhaps being one of the big issues in in 2024 i mean i i i know it's speculation it's kind of premature but how do you feel about that yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good question. I think the U.S.-China relationship is definitely going to be, and um, I know that uh, I, you know, one of my, you know, my my sons are in high school and they take civics, so they want to watch the Republican primary debates for better or for worse, and I I watch along with them, and I I know that even in those debates that the China issues come up. Uh, and they yeah. come up frequently, and um, and I know that this administration, uh, the Biden administration, has has placed a lot of time and effort into uh, getting the right relationship with China. And I often remind folks that look, it took us, you know, Kissinger was the one who made the first move with respect to. Uh, opening the door with China. And uh, it, it made some strategic sense at the, at the time to do that. Um, but then the, the, the big global companies, you know, uh, rubbed their hands together and saw an enormous opportunity, not necessarily as a consumer market, but as a uh, dirt cheap factory floor. Uh, oh, yeah. where labor can be exploited. And for, for the last 25 years, uh, we've had a train wreck of a relationship with China. And so the idea that one president in one term is going to be able to fix that is a joke. <laughs> That's just not, you know, it's been decades in the making. But I do think that the, 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 the Biden administration's approach on this has been has been a smart one, and we'll need to we'll need to continue that. And so I know just from our work on Capitol Hill with the administration observing these debates that uh, this relationship and and I heard even this issue uh, the the PNTR with China issue come up in the uh, Republican debate in Tuscaloosa. So it's definitely going to be a round flash. One more question here before we break, and it has to do with companies that do a lot of business in China. And I remember talking to you months ago about Apple. I think they're, uh, they do, they have a big operation in China and there's been some pressure on American companies to say, Hey, come on, do it here. You know, and, and some companies have done that. We're sitting, look at, look what Intel is doing. Are, are we making any inroads on the companies like that? I mean, these are, these are multi, multi billion dollar companies that are still dealing with China. Well, what do what do you, what do you see happening there? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, that's a that that's that's one of the the stickiest wickets of all of this is that uh, there are a lot of global companies that are headquartered in the United States uh, that are that are well known, um, like Apple and Walmart, uh, that still have an extensive dependency on manufacturing in China. Uh, you know, indirectly. Uh, because they use contractors, but uh, it's indispensable to their business model. And um, there are other companies, and I mean, semiconductors, you mentioned Intel, uh, is, is an example of this, that have have recognized the need for diversification uh, and have opened factories elsewhere in the world, uh, including the United States uh, on semiconductors for the first time in a, in a generation. Um, but there's others that are very stubborn about it. And, um, and, and so they're, yeah, they're going to resist any changes in the U S China relationship uh, with respect to tariffs and raising those tariffs. And they're going to fight uh, against that, but they kind of have their heads in the sand. They're, they're ignoring a lot of what this uh, Xi Jinping regime is doing globally and internally and uh, the kind of geopolitical bind that that puts the United States in. Um, and so it is a, uh, you, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to be a wake-up call to them, but they have their whole economic business model is built on this kind of exploitation. So they're, they're going to fight against the tooth and nail. Um, doesn't, doesn't make it right. I, I mean, I think, it's, uh, I think it's horrific because they should have seen the writing on the wall um, starting in the Trump administration that things are going to be different with mm -hmm. China <laughs> and yeah. there were going to be some tariffs. So, but uh, they're, they're, a lot of them are still in denial. Scott Paul joining us on behalf of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, where he serves as president. The website is AmericanManufacturing.org. We'll continue with him and talk about the 10th annual Made in America holiday gift guide that just came out later in the show. Andrew Sparr will be joining us from Florida on behalf of the Florida Education Association. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a Local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. 
You can find more at ifpte.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go back to uh, line number one. Joining us from Washington today is Scott Paul. Scott is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. And they recently came out with their Made in America holiday gift guide. Scott, I can't believe 10 years in the making here, featuring more than 200 companies making their products in the United States. You know, before we get into the, uh, the gift guide, um, you and I know you do a lot of polling over there at the Alliance and you've been finding out that people are saying, hey, we want to buy American made goods, but we don't know how to do that. And obviously we got these country of origin things there. People are starting to look at the labels. In some cases, you can't find the labels. You don't know where they're made, but they want goods made in america can you speak to that and the polling is hasn't it gone up over the years since you started doing this isn't that isn't that right yeah that's exactly right we've been in addition to kind of laying out what some of the options are we've been asking people uh through a polling firm kind of how much they know about made in america products would they would they be willing to buy them um and and that's that's exactly right so if you ask folks uh overwhelming number well over 80 percent said that they uh you know that they prefer to buy uh made in america products including uh as holiday gifts um however a large percentage of folks uh you know acknowledge that they have a hard time finding those products uh Mm -hmm. either online uh or in stores and um it is a uh i mean you and i could probably both name some companies that do a good job of made in america advertising um but for every one of those there's dozens and dozens that don't and so it is like finding a needle in a haystack sometime that's why we curate this list and publicize it to show that there are some great options out there um in a lot of different product categories from a lot of different places around the United States um, at a lot of different price points. Um, and uh, but, but the polling shows that there's, you know, the, the retailers are missing an opportunity here because consumers really are interested in, yeah. in these made in America products. Um, they're, they're even willing to pay a little bit more if, if necessary for them, uh, but that they're deeply frustrated because there's not like if you walk into a store, most stores, I will say flash and you say, you know, you know, show me where, 
you know, sh- show me where the kitchenware is, you know, they can lead you to it. But uh, yeah. if you say, show me your Made in America stuff, they'll be like, what? What are you talking about? And so <laughs> there's just not that level of education. And converting that online, and, and this is the thing, like if you're looking on Amazon or, or Walmart or any of these online sites, um, you can get a ton of different information about the product. Um, you can get a million different reviews, but there's no requirement of country of origin labeling online. And so you might not even know if the product's made in the United States or made in China or made somewhere else. And so there's a law that we're supporting that would change that. Um, The country uh, of origin online labeling act, but it it, right now there's not even a requirement. And so it's really hard for consumers to uh, sift through this process without a lot of research. And we just think it should be more convenient that retailers should be aware that they're missing an opportunity here um, and that they can open open their doors to uh, a whole new uh, form of consumer spending if they spent a little more effort uh, promoting the fact and supplying uh, uh, made in America products, uh, particularly around the holidays. You know, we have to do a lot better messaging on that. And I'm going to do that here on America's workforce because I didn't realize that until, you know, we started having this conversation with you that brick and mortar retailers are legally required to provide country of origin information, but online, no. And today, just about everybody goes online. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I come home and I see all these boxes out in front from my wife ordering everything and <laughs> I'm sure right. she's not checking checking the country of origin on some on some of that stuff. So it's important. I mean, and there's legislation to your point that yeah, if you're gonna buy something online, at least you should know where it's coming from. Is it made in America? We want we want that to happen. Well let let's talk about the gift guide here. Hard to believe again that's ten years in the making. And what, some of the criteria, you and I have talked about this before, but uh, this is pretty much, was it voluntary? People send, you know, you ask for ideas on products that are made in America. Obviously, you've got to fact check them. Maybe you can walk us through that process and talk about, yeah. the, about the gift guide. Yeah, yeah, you bet. And just the, you know, there's the technical stuff, which is there's a, the Federal Trade Commission has a legal requirement about what's made in America. We're not the police of that. Uh, we depend on the companies to provide that within th- th- that with information. And our purpose with this guide is to just lift up companies that are supporting jobs in the United States. And we rely on them to make the correct claims on, on made in America. But, but yeah, we do, we solicit from our advocates. We have hundreds of thousands of advocates around the country their ideas, uh, and then we fact-check those. We also uh, have a, a team within the Alliance for American Manufacturing um, that, uh, you know, the, for, for whom this is a passion project that, that starts every fall and um, collects ideas. And the, the, key, the key thing here, and this is, this is the not easy thing I will say, is that we want to include gift ideas that are manufactured in every state in the country. Okay. And so in some cases that's easier th- than in others, but you know, we, but, but I would also say for 10 years, we've been able to find gifts that have been made in Delaware, for instance, you know, it's mm-hmm. taken some sleuthing, but, but we've been able to do it. And, and we want to also have them, uh, you know, scattered across a number of different categories. And, and I think the really great news is that those categories have grown over the last 10 years. If you would have asked us for any 
ideas in audio or electronics uh, 10 years ago. It would have been really hard, and we, we, have, uh, we have quite a few uh, now. And, and so it's, a, uh, it's been a passion project, but it's, it's by far the most popular thing we do. And we know from talking to these stores uh, and, and these, uh, these manufacturers as well that, that it does increase awareness for, um, for their products. Uh, so we, we, we see results from this. Just uh, running down a couple of the companies, New Balance, they make these shoes. Mm, they have yeah. uh, five factories in Maine and Massachusetts. They employ about 1,300 workers to make more than 4 million pairs of sneakers in the United States. There's the Louisville Slugger. Got to give a shout-out to the steelworkers. That's right. Six, 1693, of course, affiliated with the Alliance for American Manufacturing there, the Louisville Slugger. I mean, you don't have to say anything more than that, you know. You know that's a good bat. You know that's a good bat. Uh, <laughs> that's right. But there's, there's so many. And, he, and you know what's cool what you did? You got some old favorites. I, I like what you did this year. That's kind of cool. This has to be a labor of love for you and your staff over there at the Alliance, isn't it, Scott? Yeah, I would say Beth and our Beth and the team that does does this. Uh, you know, they uh, they they love uh, this work and generating the ideas. Uh, and again, you know, many of them are also parents or pet owners or have other you know hobbies, and so they're able to lean in on that as well. And and again, we get some great uh, ideas from. Are uh, from folks who write in from around the country uh, that, that are lifting up companies that, that we're just completely unfamiliar with. Um, and, uh, you know, this being the 10th year, uh, we included some new items and also we revisited what I would say some of our greatest hits. You're allowed to make a greatest hits album after 10 years. Is that right? Yeah, I think, sure, I think sure. that's like a, a pretty decent amount of time to do it because we had a lot of companies who were like, hey, what am I going to get in the gift guide again? And we would say, well, look, we're trying to, 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 to keep it fresh uh, every year. And so we, we have kind of included a, uh, a greatest hits list of some of the most popular entries we've had uh, over the years as well for people to celebrate. But there's it, just this year alone, we have over 200 companies from every state, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico. And, you know, they're across so many different categories. I mean, you just mentioned shoes and baseball bats right there, but we have like giftables, outdoor gear, stuff for pets, tools, uh, tons of kitchenware. So it's, uh, you know, it is, it is almost anything that you'd want to find, uh, except for the stuff that's just not made in the United States, like, you know, a lot of, you know, TVs or, or, or some of the bigger kind of consumer electronics, which you're, you're just not going to find, but we're, we're able to help, um, help folks uh, in almost every other way. I love it. The 2023 Made in America Holiday Gift Guide. Now out, just go to AmericanManufacturing.org. AmericanManufacturing.org. Well, thank you, my friend. I, I love the conversation today. As always, you take care. The best of the holiday season to you, the team over there at the Alliance, as well as your family, and uh, we will talk in the new year. Okay, my friend? Flash, very much appreciate all the work that you do, and thanks for lifting up the gift guide. Happy holidays. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Andrew Sparr is president of the Florida Education Association, and he is coming up next. This is America's Workforce. 
It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as healthcare and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Org. America's workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now... Back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. Yeah, remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. OH.AFT.ORG is their website. Speaking of teachers, let's go to the state of Florida right now. Welcome back to the show. Andrew Spar. Boy, he's got his hands full down there. He is president of the Florida Education Association, FEAweb.org. Andrew, I didn't realize this. I was on your website last night. I didn't, I didn't know that the Florida Education Association was founded back in 1886. That's a long time ago. We should also point out it's the state's largest association of public employees, professional employees, and the largest labor union in the Southeast. So that speaks volumes. You probably feel like you've been there since 1886, doesn't doesn't it? Some days, Flash, it feels like that. Some days it does. All right. um, let's, Let's take a look at what happened this year. You and I have had many conversations, and uh, it's been a battle. It's been a battle. Your governor there has been attacking public sector unions. Take me back to the spring. Let's start there, and we're going to talk about um, how you were able to handle this and what what the new year looks like here. But uh, what did the legislature do specifically dealing with the Florida Education Association? Go ahead, Andrew. Well, yeah, thanks, Flash. So last May, the governor signed uh, Senate Bill uh, 256, a bill that dramatically curtails the rights of employees to um, to negotiate through their union, to, to even have a union, and how they choose to pay their dues. Um, 
This legislation took away the right of employees to pay their union dues through paycheck deduction. It required that in order for a union to continue in existence, it must have 60% of the membership uh, of the bargaining unit, um, or it, it had to uh, go through a process, a, an extensive process, in which you have to collect show of interest cards, uh, you have to hold an election, and then the bargaining unit has to vote that they want to keep their union. Uh, it also requires uh, certified public accountants to audit the financials and the membership numbers, um, something that is very costly. And, and keep in mind, uh, in like a lot of states, we have some very small unions in Florida in which their revenues are well under uh, $10,000 a year, and yet you're talking about having to do audits which could run anywhere from five to $12,000 a year essentially wiping out all of the, the resources uh, for the union and, and several other things that the, the bill did. Interestingly enough, it left out police and fire from the majority of this legislation, uh, but targeted all other public employee unions, of course, the main target uh, being the teachers unions. And this legislation was written by a group you've probably heard of called the Freedom Foundation, an, an anti-union group uh, whose sole goal is to decertify unions, not just in Florida, but across the country and they've made one of our locals, the United Teachers of Dade, their main target to try to decertify it and have said that they will spend millions of dollars to take away the voice of teachers and staff in, in Miami-Dade public schools. Andrew, that's the same group that did some damage here in the state of Ohio, and they even used uh, Melissa Cropper, who you know, Melissa is the head of the Ohio Federation, and saying, hey, you could opt out of your union. In fact, you got some money coming to you. And they signed her name. It was a legal activity on their part. Yeah, they, they are a group that doesn't care about law. They are a group that's, that is funded by certain billionaires who dislike public schools, who, who dislike working families, uh, who dislike the middle class. They want to concentrate power with the wealthy, and so therefore they are doing everything they can, and, and they say by any means necessary, they don't care. Uh, they are going to try and take down unions, and as Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, just told a group here in Florida when, when she was down earlier this week, uh, she said what they don't have is people. And what they can't do is take away our right to speak up. We will always speak up. And, and I think that's a true statement. And you have been very vocal. So talk to me about the, the reaction to this and, and how the Florida Education Association, specifically your group, how you have responded and, and what your members are saying as a result of this. I mean, this has been going on for months now. So talk to me about that part. Well, our members uh, obviously are quite concerned and, you know, the biggest job we have is educating our members as to what's going on. Why are they trying to take away our voice? Making sure they understand that payroll deduction doesn't exist anymore in Florida because, you know, like so many people, teachers and staff and professors, they tend to get very busy. And, uh, and when they're very busy, they don't necessarily uh, see what may be happening uh, right there, um, even though it has a direct impact on them, they may not realize that their dues are no longer coming out of their paycheck and that they had to switch to an alternative that we established. Fortunately, the overwhelming majority of our members have already made the switch. 
Um, we have closing in on 85% of our members have already switched over to a new way of paying their dues. We continue to work on that. Uh, look, there were a lot of people from the Freedom Foundation to the governor's office and other political appointees of the governor who thought we would be dead by this point. Uh, and we are nowhere close to being dead. We're, we're, we are thriving. Uh, we are, are getting new members every day. Um, and uh, we have a tremendous number of success stories. We have not lost a single union in the state of Florida and don't intend on losing a single local union uh, in the state of Florida. We are working with the Florida AFL-CIO um, uh, around the state, really just trying to support one another as unions. Um, and I will tell you, our members are mad. They are are really mad. I mean, keep in mind that Florida is in the midst of the worst teacher and staff shortage we have ever seen. Uh, that continues to grow and get worse. Um, they are tired of being dumped on, and they are tired of being treated so poorly by lawmakers who have been in charge in this state now for over 20 years, and it's had a negative impact on our students and profession. I'll tell you, we just did some polling. And the polling we just did uh, shows that not only are our members not happy with the direction of schools in the state of Florida, neither are voters. Voters overwhelmingly think what Governor DeSantis is doing to public schools is wrong. They disagree with the Moms for Liberty. They believe we should be offering advanced placement classes, more career and tech classes, uh, that we should be offering more music, art, and PE, and that we should have a well-rounded curriculum in which students see themselves and in which they learn about Americans from all different lifestyles and cultures. And that's what they want. They don't want this limit on curriculum that the governor keeps pushing. They don't want kids to be ostracized by the governor, and they don't want teachers and staff to be so disrespected. And so we're going to be using a lot of that polling data. We've got a few more polls out there right now that I think are going to be very telling and very surprising to, to men uh, in this state about what's happening. Well, Andrew, with that polling, I mean, these lawmakers are elected officials. You would think that they'd um, be close to the ground listening to their voters on this. Has anybody said, well, maybe we pushed it a little too far? Maybe. And, and, and what are they doing to address the, the teacher shortage? I mean, it's critical right now in the state of in the state of Florida. And don't they realize that the policies from this administration are is a primary reason that there's a teacher shortage? It, they do. I, I think the majority do. I think there has been, because the governor in Florida is um, running for president, there was a lot of, of apprehension about challenging what he was doing. I think because he's doing so poorly in the presidential race, uh, largely because his policies are not good policies. Uh, I think uh, a lot of uh, lawmakers in Florida, especially on the Republican side, are starting to rethink where their loyalty uh, should lie. And uh, we're hoping that we may see some positive changes, um, but, you know, there's still a long way to go. I mean, at the end of the day, there has been significant damage done to teachers, staff, and professors in Florida. When you have a governor, as we have had for the last two, three years, who has vilified teachers and staff and professors called us all kinds of names. And I'll have to tell you a story about the Republican chair here in the state of Florida and maybe in the next segment, but, but I will tell you that uh, they are, um, they, they have vilified us so badly that 
so few people want to become teachers or work in our schools or on our college and university campuses, and we have seen this mass exodus. Uh, and so it's going to take a little bit of time and a lot of energy and investment to turn this around. Yeah, we'll have to save that for another show. We could only uh, do one segment with you today. But uh, I just want to let you know, and you know this, never give up hope. Never give up hope. I mean, you're, you're familiar with what happened in the state of Wisconsin under Scott Walker back in 2011. I mean, he attacked public sector unions, and he definitely attacked the teachers, and a lot of teachers, much like Florida, left the state of Wisconsin. Well, fast forward, we always say elections matter. And now they have a progressive majority on the state Supreme Court. It's a four to three majority. And as a result of that, a number of unions, and I'm reading a couple of them here, the Wisconsin Education Association Council, AFSCME, the Teamsters, and SEIU, they are all gathering to, uh, to, to get behind a lawsuit demanding that Act 10 be struck down. So there's a good possibility that what happened 10 plus years ago is going to be reversed. Maybe that kind of thing can happen in the state of Florida. Obviously, again, they pushed it a little bit too far and a lot of people are getting upset. So uh, this could be something in 2024. You never know. What do you think here, uh, Andrew? Well, you know, what I think is that uh, unions are more popular than ever. Uh, workers want a voice in the workplace. They want union representation. They want contract protections. Uh, and in states uh, like Florida and other places where, where politicians have decided to try and go against the middle class, uh, the middle class that was created by unions here in this country, uh, I think they're going to be in for a rude awakening. And keep in mind, here, even here in Florida, they're talking about repealing child labor laws. I mean, that's how far they're going. Child labor laws were put in place because of unions, recognizing the importance of family values and how kids should not be taken advantage of. They literally want to repeal child labor laws here in Florida so that children can work as many hours as an employer would have them work without limitation on how late they work. I mean, could you imagine uh, high school students working till midnight and then having to be at school at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, having homework to do, uh, and then a boss telling him, I need you to stay even later. Uh, that would be allowed under what Florida is proposing on these child labor laws. So as an educator, we're very concerned about how that could impact students their well-being and their education. And so uh, it's, it's just crazy when you think about the attack on the middle class uh, from so many of these lawmakers who really don't understand uh, family values or the American way, clearly, uh, yet they tout it and try to wrap themselves in a flag as if they're better than everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Actions speak louder than words, no doubt about that. Yeah, the uh, the child labor situation is horrendous, and at least about a dozen states now have gone in that same direction. Andrew, always a pleasure. Let's uh, let's regroup in the new year here, because I know there's, these attacks are going to continue, but it's good to know that you're union strong in the state of Florida. Andrew Spar, president of Florida Education Association. Do check him out online, FEA Web. Dot O-R-G. You take care, okay, brother? You too, Flash. Thanks. Good talking with you. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the courts and the National Labor Relations Board. Until then, all of you, have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. 
America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.